Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I don't have any comments because people out mm-hmm. there don't want to write back because it's summertime. So uh, get some comments in here. Now, on our last podcast, Deborah and I discussed that the gossip about the Patna forced Jim to move on from job to job. Now, gossip really is tantamount to spreading lies, and it really has been a darkness plaguing mankind since creation. However, one of Jim's great weaknesses was that out of personal pride, he cared too much about what others were saying and about an event they had no firsthand knowledge of. So, so why was he so upset about it? And even Marlowe and everybody else that knew him said it didn't really matter what happened on the Patna because he was a man of character. So just as a little warning, we all need to beware of Jim's weakness and care less about what other people say about us. <laughs> as long as we're doing what we think is uh, what God wants us to do, we'll be fine. All right, today what we want to do is we want to skip ahead to Jim's new life in Patizan. Now, I don't want to scare you with that. Um, uh, we're only going to skip a few chapters. Now, to help me do this, my partner in literature is back with me in the studio today. So, welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here again. It's always great to have you. Also, with us in the studio is producer Parker Campbell, who is filling in for Gabe, who is taking a few days off before the fall semester begins. It's hard to believe we're going to be back in class here pretty soon. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of, of instruction. Again, this is, this is like classroom instruction. This is what I do to my students. And uh, I, I look at all of you listeners out there as my students. So uh, I really appreciate you listening in. But uh, we are going to skip chapters 20 and 21. Uh, in other words, we're just going to skip ahead. Now, I still believe it's very important that you read them. And uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is, uh, let's just put it this way, chapters 21 to 23 really set the stage for the second phase of Jim's life. And, of course, he's going to be on Patizan. And so it really gives you, I think, very, very necessary background. Now, in, uh, in chapters 20 and 21, these chapters introduce a new character, and his name is Stein. And Stein is also a good friend of Marlowe. Now, also, Stein is European. Uh, he's, uh, he's considered very wise. And uh, uh, he really had a, a kind of a heroic life like Jim wanted. In other words, he's, he's uh, been on all these islands. He's been an adventurer. He's, de- he's developed a great business. And uh, essentially, Marlowe meets with him in these two chapters, and he seeks his advice on how to help Jim. Now, I, I really think it's a great study in human nature, and it's really typical of Conrad. And I, I think it's, it's really worth reading. In fact, I'm going to take a little bit of time and talk to you about a few things. So I'm going to go to page 157 to start out. And uh, 
on this page that there's there's uh, just some really good things here at the very top. Now, one thing about Stein, uh, he does love bugs, <laughs> and he loves butterflies, and uh, you know he is kind of like a Renaissance man that way. He's been the adventurer, he's been a you know an entrepreneur, but he loves butterflies, and uh, he. In, in a situation where he was actually, people were trying to murder him, um, he pretends he's dead and he finds this butterfly he'd been waiting for all of his life. And uh, he sees this butterfly as an absolute masterpiece. Now, unfortunately, there's a little bit of evolution there because uh, in this, this, on this page because he believes that it's the universe or it's the, the cosmos that creates this, this butterfly. But anyway, the, at the... Um, Top of page 157, he says, Never heard an entomologist go on like this, I observed cheerfully. Masterpiece, and what of man? So so here, Stein is telling Marlowe, his good friend, wow, this, this butterfly is an absolute masterpiece. And of course, Marlowe, who I believe is actually speaking for Con- Conrad, he says, Now, masterpiece, and what of man? And here's what Stein says back. He says, Man is amazing, but he is not a masterpiece, he said, keeping his eyes fixed on the glass case. And now the glass case is where this butterfly, or I should say dead butterfly, is. <laughs> he says, perhaps the artist was a little mad, eh? So, so in other words, the artist of man, you know, it's like uh, he wasn't all together when he made man. He said, what do you think? Now, this is, this is uh, um, you know... Uh, I'm assuming again. Now this is this is somewhat confusing the way Conrad writes, but I'm assuming that this is Stein still saying this, and uh, uh, that's another thing I want to talk about in today's program. How Conrad just seems to love to confuse us. <laughs> anyway, sometimes this is what Stein is saying. Sometimes it seems to me uh, that man is come where he is not wanted, and where there is no place for him. For if not. Why should he want all this place? Why should he be run, run about here and there, making a great noise about himself, talking about the stars, and disturbing the blades of grass? And then, of course, uh, Marlowe chimes in there, catching butterflies? <laughs> you know, why is he running around catching butterflies? So, t- to me, uh, for all of you out there, you know, you know we do have uh, certain religious beliefs that we believe and. And certainly we, we know from the Bible there is this, there, there is a reason why God put man on the earth. And, uh, and the reason he did is because Satan and his angels, who are now demons, blew their chance to, to help beautify the earth. And obviously, you know, Satan does not want human beings on the earth. He doesn't want us here. And so that's why he's, uh, he's so enraged right now because... Uh, you know, Christ is about to return and kick him off the throne. And uh, man is going to take over the earth and in a right way and in godly way. And so I thought that was just an amazing statement that that uh, it just shows to me how deep Conrad thought at times. All right. So so that's one thing uh, in terms of, you know, the, the human nature thing. Uh, let's go to page 160 as well. And... Uh, uh, Remember now, Marlowe goes to Stein because he's wise. And uh, uh, also, Marlowe knows that Stein has been an adventurer, that he's been like a hero, and he's done heroic things 
you know, in his life in these islands. I mean, he survived the islands. He's he didn't get murdered and killed, and you know, I, I guess there there was obviously some native. Uh, the, the native peoples were, you know, uprising against whites coming into their into their territory. But um, the, the 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 thing is, he's going to Stein because he's he's talking about Jim, and he knows Jim wants to be this adventurer. He knows that Jim wants to be this hero, and he's he's trying to get Stein to help him see how could he help him. And uh, this is about the middle of the page. He says, he heard me out sitting with cross legs. Sometimes his head would disappear completely in a great eruption of smoke and a sympathetic growl would come out from the cloud. When I finished, he uncrossed his legs, laid down his pipe, leaned forward towards me earnestly with his elbows on the arms of his chair, the tips of his fingers together. So this is after his whole discussion about Jim. And uh, we've had enough discussion about Jim. You know what he is. He says, I understand very well. This is Steinman answers him. I understand very well. He is romantic. And so, so in other words, Stein can see it because Stein is also romantic. And, uh, and he, he knows what Jim is thinking. And uh, um, so, so uh, Marlowe says, he had, dis- he had diagnosed the case for me. And at first I was quite startled to find out how simple it was. And indeed, our conference resembled so much a medical consultation, Stein of learned aspect, sitting in an armchair before his desk, I, anxious, in another, facing him, but little to one side, that it seemed natural to ask, what's it good for it, or what's good for it? He lifted up his long forefinger. He said, there's only one remedy. One thing alone can us, and again now, remember, he's European. I think he speaks German. I think he's actually Swiss. And uh, he can't necessarily get his English out correctly. He says, one thing alone can us from being ourselves cure. He says, uh, Marlowe goes on to say, the finger came down on the desk with a smart rap. The case which I had to make to look so simple before became, if possible, still simpler and altogether hopeless. There was a pause. Yes, said I, strictly speaking, the question is not how to get cured, but how to live. Now, I think that's that's really interesting. You know, how many of our ills do we have is because we don't know how to live. And so, so again, this is Conrad's deep thinking. Uh, he goes on, Marlowe goes on to say, he approved with his head a little sadly, it seemed. Yeah, yeah. In general, adapting the words of your great poet, that is the question. And so, if you know anything about the play Hamlet, he's referring now to Hamlet. And, uh, you know, Hamlet had this great soliloquy where he says, what a piece of work is man. And, uh, you know, how noble. And so, so he's really putting us right to Shakespeare. And then he goes on to say, that is the question. He went on nodding sympathetically, how to be, how to be. And, of course, that goes to his famous soliloquy, to be or not to be. So, so Conrad obviously read Shakespeare. And there's another reference um, uh, later on, I think, I don't know if I can find it quick enough today, but anyway, there's, there's another one where he definitely uh, reveals that Jim, Jim, as remember, he loves to read, and he loves to read about um, uh, adventure, but Jim also liked Shakespeare. <laughs> and so uh, Conrad finds him with a book of Shakespeare and says that. So, so uh, I should say Marlowe. All right. Now, 
I'm going to skip ahead now to chapter 21. And uh, essentially now, uh, here's where we start getting the, the, uh, uh, the stage set for Patterson. So in chapter 21, it's, if you look at it, the frame narrator, narrator takes us back to Marlowe telling Jim's story. So, so when, when you, this is where it gets confusing. Um, you know that the, it's the frame narrator takes us back, and, and we're we're with the we're with Marlowe now, uh, with his uh, all of his listeners, and they're they're on this uh, porch somewhere, and so Marlowe begins to fill his listeners in on some of the history of Stein's connection to Patterson, and uh, uh, one of the things that comes out here is that it is Stein who arranges for Jim to work for him on Patterson. Jim is to, to go and replace his present agent, Cornelius, who's not doing the job Stein wants, and the opportunity for Jim will give him total isolation from his former world and life. And that's what Jim wants. And uh, let's see, I have it in my notes to go to page 170. And uh, yes, this is, uh, this, is, this is an important quote. Um, Marlowe then begins to tell his listening friends his last words about Jim would be few. Uh, if we go to the, to, uh, the bottom of page 170 of, of uh, chapter 21, he says, My last words about Jim shall be few. I affirm he had achieved greatness, but the thing would be dwarfed in the telling, or rather in the hearing. Frankly, it is not my words that I mistrust, but your minds. I could be eloquent were I not afraid you fellows had starved your imaginations to feed your bodies. I do not mean to be offensive. It is respectable to have no illusions and safe and profitable and dull. Yet you, too, in your time must have known the intensity of life, that light of glamour created in the shock of trifles, as amazing as the glow of sparks struck from a cold stone, and a short-lived alas. And so, so uh, again, uh, you know, Marlowe's saying that he's going he's gonna to finish telling the story but uh, he's going to tell it as, as uh, short as he can because he doesn't know if any of us have the imagination to really see what happened. So, Deborah, you're sitting over there quiet. Do you have any comments on any of that? Well, I, I was just wondering if, if um, <coughs> the, the, at the end there, if that's a um, foretaste of, of Jim's life. It says, and short-lived, alas. In other words, yeah. it, I wondered if that's, if that's because it says... Uh, as amazing as, as the glow of sparks, um, the, you know, the light of glamour created in the shock of trifles, the glow of sparks, kind of like Jim will have a, the glow of, you know, of sparks, and then, but it might be short-lived, alas. Right. So I was just wondering. Well, I think that's true. I think yeah. there's definitely, there, there's a lot in here of, like, foreshadowing mm-hmm. that this is not going to go well for Jim. I mean, that's why he wants to keep the words few, because he wants to diminish that. The fact that uh, things don't go well for him, um, uh, you know, the, the 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 I I think the big thing that we really need to 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 listen to here, or maybe as we read through here, is um, you know, uh, it is the most probably one of the most unusual stories I've read, and and the way it's all structured and put together, it, I mean, it's just to me, it's just fascinating. But there are there are many 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 lessons in this, and uh, you know, when we get into the second phase or the second half of Jim's life, 
uh, it's going to be a lot different. There's, we're, you know, we're not going to have to deal with uh, the Patna anymore. We're going to have to deal with Patusan. And uh, I know you mentioned before that some people think it's interesting that there's two P's. Yeah, they're, they're, almost, they're a little bit similar in yeah. sounding. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. so... So, but but anyway, to me, it's just a this is great creation out of the mind of Conrad. So, uh, uh, anyway, let's start now on chapter twenty-two. And uh, one of the things everybody out there listening is uh, just realize that Conrad jumps. He jumps from the past to the future, to present to the future. The present goes back. So, so what we're here to. Uh, to help you get through that. Okay. So chapter 22, um, uh, you know, a lot has passed. A lot has passed that we don't know about, but we're going to find out as we get into chapter 23. Chapter 3 takes us back. It jumps us ahead, then it takes us back. But uh, one, of, one of the things everybody out there has to understand is Patusan does not exist. It never did exist. It's it's a made-up country. And... Uh, uh, even though I think Conrad visited these island areas, he certainly has a lot of familiarity with them, and he can really paint a really good picture. So, but but what what you have to understand about chapter twenty two when it begins, he's talking about Patasan, but but his introduction to Patasan is it it's really the perfect place for Jim to hide out from the rest of the world, or it's for Jim to escape his past with the Patna. And really, Jim's past with the Patna really isn't that bad. He just thinks it's that bad. And so, so I'm going to just read the top paragraph. And and I want you to see that, that what Conrad is doing here is he's setting the stage for what makes a life heroic or what gives you adventure. And in other words, he's setting us up to see this is exactly what Jim wants. So talking about Patterson, he says, The conquest of love, honor, men's confidence, the pride of it, the power of it, are fit materials for a heroic tale. Uh, Only our minds are struck by the externals of such a success. And to Jim's success, there were no externals. Thirty miles of forest shut it off from the sight of an indifferent world, and the noise of the white surf along the coast overpowered the voice of fame. The stream of civilization, as if it divided on a headland a hundred miles north of Patusan, branches east and southeast, leaving its plains and valleys, its old trees, its old mankind, neglected and isolated, such as insignificant and crumbling islet between two branches of a mighty devouring stream. You find the name of that country pretty often in collections of old voyages. The 17th century trader, traders went there for pepper because the passion for pepper seemed to burn like a flame of love in the breast of Dutch and English adventurers about the time of James I. So he, he's, uh, he's saying that this history of Patusan really goes back as far back as James I, you know, king of England. And uh, he said, uh, where wouldn't they go for pepper? Now, <clears throat> uh, for me, was the pepper that much spice? Was it that important? What do you think? Well, it probably, it probably, in some ways, it was something new. They probably it was a new thing, but um, it does seem like they they went through a lot of trouble for pepper. But yeah, uh, 
Anyway, yeah. it, it mm-hmm. just seems to me like that was a side issue, mm-hmm. Pepper. And I think what that he's, that's what he's trying to say here is that the big passion for Pepper seemed to burn like a flame of love in the breast of Dutch and English adventurers. Uh, he said, where wouldn't they go for Pepper? For a bag of, of Pepper, they would cut each other's throats without hesitation, would forswear their, of their souls, in which they were so careful otherwise. The bizarre obstinacy of that desire made them defy death in a thousand shapes. And I think that's where he's going. Is see these are adventurers. Mm-hmm. They're not. Just, they're not after the pepper as much as they're after the adventure. And uh, I mean, maybe we just take pepper to to laissez-faire today. <laughs> maybe there's so much so much pepper in the world that it doesn't matter anymore. And anyway, he goes on to say um, uh, the the bizarre obstinance, obstinacy. Of that desire made them defy death in a thousand shapes, the unknown seas, the loathsome and strange diseases, wounds, captivity, hunger, pestilence, and despair. It made them great. (laughs) By heavens, it made them heroic, and it made them pathetic, too, in their craving for trade with the inflexible death levying its toll on young and old. It seems impossible to believe that mere greed could hold men to such a steadfastness of purpose to such a blind persistence in endeavor and sacrifice, and indeed those who had ventured their persons in life risked all they had for a slender reward or pepper. <laughs> yeah, so, so they really didn't get that much money compared to what they lost, but right. it was but they were they gained the, the adventure. Yeah. They like they were, were yeah. They were really uh, lusty men mm-hmm. because they almost drowned themselves in the sea and they fought each other to get pepper all right um uh let's let's skip over to page 172 again uh all you listening out there we're trying to give you the background of patterson it says in patterson they found lots of pepper and had been impressed by the magnificent and the wisdom of the sultan but somehow after a century of checkered intercourse the country seemed to drop gradually out of trade perhaps the pepper had given out be as it may, nobody cares for it now. The glory has departed. The sultan is an imbecile youth with two thumbs on his left hand and an uncertain and beggarly revenue extorted from a miserable population and stolen from him by his many uncles. So I think that's one of the first signs that Jim should beware going to Patterson. Yes. Yeah, the yes. glory days are over. Glory days are over, and it sounds like... Sounds like there's a lot of danger. Um, right. Yes. And uh, if, if you just uh, skip down the page, it says, uh, at the, towards the bottom, it says, there were in Patterson antagonistic forces, and one of them was Raja Alang, uh, the worst of the sultan's uncle, the governor of the river, who did the extorting and the stealing and ground down to the point of extinction the country-born Malays, who utterly defenseless had not even the resource of emigrating. For indeed, as Stein remarked, where could they go and how could they get away? No doubt they did not even desire to get away. The world that is circumscribed by lofty, impassable mountains has been given into the hand of the highborn, and this Roger they knew was of their own royal house. And so, so here's it's a problem of government, and uh, you know they they know that uh, he's a Raja, and so he should be honored, and uh, but yet. You know, it, it's not a utopia there <laughs> on, no. on, on Patizan. So uh, uh, anyway, 
Uh, it goes on to say, he was a dirty, little, used-up old man with evil eyes and a weak mouth who swallowed an opium pill every two hours and in defiance of common decency wore his hair uncovered and falling in wild stringy locks about his wise and grimy face. <laughs> and so so this is their ruler. <laughs> anyway. Um, Conrad is so good at giving descriptions like that, isn't he? Yes. He really is. <laughs> yeah. So um, now, uh, if, if you're reading on this page, uh, again, all you listeners out there, hopefully you're reading this page. This is where... Um, Conrad now makes a jump. So he's he's talking to everybody, but if you're if you're not following this, he he does in the future go visit Jim on the island, and this is actually a future example. He says this is where and how he received us when accompanied by Jim. I paid him a visit of ceremony, and so so I, I guess I should read right above that. Is this guy is practically worshipped as Sultan, uh, as Raja Alang. It says, uh, when giving audience, he would clamber upon a sort of narrow stage erected in a hall like a ruinous barn with a rotten bamboo floor, through the cracks of which you could see 12 or 15 feet below heaps of refuse and garbage of all kinds lying under the house. That is where and how he received us. Accompanied by Jim, I paid him a visit of ceremony. And so, so again, he's he's really skipping around here, um, but but it's interesting here what he has to say about Jim. And uh, uh, again, remember now, I just I'd read to you just previously that he was concerned about Jim. And he's concerned that everybody would see how successful he was. And so, let's look at this description. He says, "I'd never seen Jim look so grave, so self-possessed, in an impenetrable, impressive way." In the midst of these dark-faced men, his stalwart figure in white apparel, the gleaming clusters of his fair hair seemed to catch all the sunshine that trickled through the cracks in the closed shutters of the dim hall. With its walls of mats and roof of thatch, he appeared like a creature not only of another kind but of another essence. Had they not seen him come up in a canoe, they might have thought he had descended from the clouds. <laughs> so, so he's like a savior. <laughs> for this island I mean that's what he's saying and uh, there he is he's white he's like he's religious he's like pure he's you know they're all dirty and and, uh, Jim walks in all dressed in white his hair is glowing and so uh, uh, I think you know Marlo is really really working hard to build up Jim's appearance as his uh, is you know as a sign of his success on the island and so I think, I think we can also get a picture of what Jim is going to do. He's going to try and help these people. And so there's a foreshadowing of, of uh, bad things, but there's also uh, Jim's success is all obviously going to be helping these people to, uh, to overcome this Raja and probably some other things as well. Uh, did I mention that, that uh, one thing you need to also understand, readers, is there's a partisan that is the country, and there's a Patizan that is a, is a village upriver in Patizan. And so you, you, you're going to have to, to uh, you know, get that straight in your mind as we go through this. Um, all right, so that's, that's what I want to cover on, on uh, that page 173, 174. Um, This, this again, he's, he jumps back to Jim 
this is before he even goes to Patterson. It's at the top of the page there. It said, it's precisely the casualness of it that strikes me most. Neither Stein nor I had a clear conception of what it might be on the other side. When we, metaphorically speaking, took him up and hove him over the wall with scanty ceremony, at the moment I wished merely to achieve his disappearance. <laughs> so, so he goes back. You know, he praises him for being on the island. Then he goes back and says, I just couldn't wait to get rid of this kid. You know, and so, so this is where it does get, I would say, just a little bit, bit confusing. Um, you know, as we're going through this. All right, any comments from you, my friend? Well, just that um, on page one seventy three, the description of how he arrived, I think, is interesting too. Okay. At the bottom of page one seventy three, and then at the bot, and then, and then, um, I think that that's why. The way he arrived is somehow um, connected to what he talks about on top of 174, the casualness, I think. Right. That's, yes. Yeah. I, I probably shouldn't have skipped that, but so, I did. But I, I, was, I, think that's, I, think, I think that's what he's saying is because um, yeah. he, he arrived in a crazy dugout sitting very still with his knees together for fear of overturning the thing because he was on this dugout and also sitting on a tin box, which uh, Marlowe had lent him. And he had a, a revolver, um, which he, which which he had wisely or maybe wrong-handed anyway, was carrying unloaded, and so yeah. so that it hints that they may he may have gotten into more trouble, but at least he had unloaded at the time. So right, right, so, or, or at least maybe it's mm-hmm. saying he's going to get in trouble. Right. And, yes. And uh, I do think I think I do think that the character Marlowe realizes now again. For everybody out there listening, when when we get into chapter twenty three, which we're probably going to have to wait till till next time, uh, there's still a meeting to have to take place with Stein that hasn't even taken place yet that you know about or that we know about by reading. But it does say there that that when he had uh, when he got to Patterson, he said nothing could have been more prosaic or common. Mm-hmm. You right. know, and yeah. so. Mm-hmm. So anyway, right. But mm-hmm. as this always happened to us, mm-hmm. that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, Deborah and I will continue our discussion of the beginning of Jim's new life on Patizan. Now you can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore, and of course, you can also check your local library. Now, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. And you can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com